So, uh, welcome to the final installment of the series that we have called Beyond Survival. And the reason we've called it Beyond Survival is because we know that from the Bible that God wants us to actually go beyond survival when it comes to our money. Now, sometimes when I say money at the beginning of a message, it makes people a little bit squirmy, kind of nervous, preachers saying the word money. Now, as you've discovered through the Grace Initiative, we're a very generous church. We talk about generosity and giving you know, every week during tithes and offerings. But if, if me saying money makes you nervous, you can relax because we're not going to be talking about giving today. We're going to be talking about practical money tips that come straight from the Bible. And the Bible does have a lot to say about money. And not only that, but statistics say four out of five Americans will actually have some type of financial difficulty or insecurity in their life at some point. So 80% of us have felt some kind of concern statistically about money. And it's not just those that are at or below the poverty level either. Statistics say one in five people, that's 20 or only 20% of people that have financial hardship fall below the poverty line. So the Bible, uh, it, it does say a lot about money. And Jesus talked more about money than heaven or hell. Even over half the parables talked about or included the topic of money. So not only does the Bible have a lot to say about money, but money's a huge part of our life. Is that right? And a lot of people struggle with money. So it seems like that would be a good conversation to have in church. So Let's go to our theme verse for this series, and that's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 and verse 8. And it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Why? Why does he do that? So that having all sufficiency. Now that word sufficiency, we talked about it in the Greek. It just means you have everything monetarily that you need with, in, with no dependence or, or needing anybody else. So in all sufficiency... In everything, at all the time, you may abound in every good work. So there is a reason why God wants you to have all sufficiency, everything that you need, and that's so that you can abound in good works, every good work. So the first week, we went through some money, week, uh, money myths, and we found out from the Bible that we were created to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion, not over people, but over the earth, that God blessed people from the very beginning and it was God's will for them that they would be fruitful and multiply. Then last week we talked about the spirit of mammon and uh, that God gives us provision, but if he gives us provision and there's no purpose beyond that provision itself, then it becomes self-centered and then it becomes poison and the Bible calls it mammon. That's what that word means, so we want to stay away from that. If you didn't get either one of those messages or one of them, you can go back to YouTube or mobile app or website and pick that up. But today, assuming that we all understand that God does want us to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion and that we do want to seek beyond the provision to the actual purposes that God has for our lives, and you want to apply 2 Corinthians 9, that you have all sufficiency why? So that you can abound in every good work. In other words, that we could be generous. That there, if there's somebody around you, a family member or a friend or somebody in need, that you can help out. Or maybe it's somebody that you don't know, but it's just obvious to you that they're going through a hard time that you could step in. That you would have all sufficiency so that you could do good works. And look, I know there's some greedy, malicious people in the world. I understand that. 
But honestly, I believe that most human beings want to help other people. You want to help other people? Yeah. Most of us want to have a purpose in our life that's bigger than ourselves. Now, we all have self-centered thoughts and temptations to be selfish in certain areas. But I honestly believe that, in mo- for the most part, human beings want to be generous. We want to help others. And especially those of us that are Jesus followers... Look, we were bought with a price. We were given a gift. God was generous in what he paid for us and what he did for us on the cross. The father gave his only son. So it's actually in our spiritual DNA to want to help other people, to want to be generous as well. And so I think all of us, we want to walk in that purpose. We want to serve other people. We want to help other people. And we want to walk in Jesus' footsteps and be a servant to those that the Holy Spirit would lead us to. But one of the problems is that we struggle with being able to do that a lot of times because of the resources that we have or sometimes don't have. And we know that it really is more enjoyable to give than it is to receive. Now, don't get me wrong, Christmas is coming. I like gifts, all right? So don't give me, we all like to get things. But you know, there's something on the inside of each and every one of us that we light up when we know that it wasn't just a gift, but we met a need, that someone was in need, and you, I, that we were able to step up and make a difference in the lives of people. There's something on the inside of each of us that lights up. But it's painful to have a heart to do that and want to do that and then look around at what you got and realize it's going to be really hard for me to step up and actually meet that need. Or what I have to contribute is not going to completely take care of that need. So as we talk today about some practical steps to actually get us into a healthy financial situation where we can do our heart's desires, where we can help other people, that uh, you know, we can help family members or friends or projects, the Grace Initiative that are beyond our tithes and offerings, all those things. But I believe that we can enjoy every single day of our life more if we can learn to manage money well to respect money, to save, to invest, to get out of debt, all of those things. And I know things that can happen to people where they can be overcoming a sickness or some kind of tragic situation that causes, you know, a kind of financial emergency. And really, there was nothing that they could have done to prepare for it. And I'm not going to be talking about those situations today. Those are very important, and, but those are specific things that need to be dealt with individually. I suggest by a financial counselor Uh, Because they know more than we do when we're dealing with those things. But what we're going to be talking about today is situations we can do about, do things about, if we follow biblical, godly wisdom. But the problem is, most of us want instant gratification, right? Amazon, two days. You just order it, and it's there. Self-discipline is something that we lack sometimes. Look what Hebrews 12 says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. I used to tell my son, if you discipline yourself, I won't have to discipline you. <laughs> Self-discipline. And so that, but discipline, self or otherwise, is painful. But then it says, but if you'll do that later on, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, we have to be trained by it. 
We, we, want to, we want to be able to make a difference in the lives of others, but self-discipline is huge in that pursuit. And this scripture says we have to actually be trained by it. We have to train ourselves. In other words, this doesn't come naturally. And so whether you're a student and you're just getting started with managing money, maybe you're an adult, you've been doing it for a while, and also even if you're not a Jesus follower, all these principles still work. But we are going to get some practical biblical tips today about how to manage money. And the, and the big thing that we got to understand is you have to be self-disciplined in order to do it. And the reason is that if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. Let me say that again. If you keep doing what you've always done in the area of finances, you're going to continue to get what you've always gotten in the area of finances. So if you're happy with where you are, you don't, want to, you don't want anymore, you don't want to be more generous, you don't want to be more successful so you can help other people. And look, we already talked about that. You don't want to be that selfish because there are people around us that could use us, uh, that could, they could use us to be more successful so we can help with those things. But if you do want to progress more, you got to think differently. There are things that have to change. Even if you're doing well, would you like to do better? Even if you're helping a lot of people, would you like to help more? If so, we've got to do things differently. And the Bible is chalked full of amazing financial advice for us. So we're going to talk about some things today that the Bible says uh, that we can actually change so we can have a different future than our current position and even what you've experienced in your past. Now, as I take you through these biblical principles on managing money, most of you that are familiar with Dave Ramsey, you might recognize some of these things. Because as I was studying, you know, I thought, you know what, a lot of this stuff sounds familiar. Turns out I've been studying Dave Ramsey and his interpretation of biblical finances for almost 20 years. So it turns out that's what was inside of me. So that's what came out. And honestly, I don't know that we could do much better than Dave on interpreting what the Bible says on practical things that we could do with financially. God has revealed some amazing things to him. And so unapologetically, if this sounds like Dave Ramsey, it's because I learned it all from Dave Ramsey. <laughs> all right. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 14. He says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost. So here's the first thing, is you've got to make a plan. And when I'm talking about a plan, I'm talking about a bad word, budget. Now, it's, it's biblical. It's common sense, but it's also biblical. So here's my question. If somebody was going to hire you to manage their personal finances, and you managed their finances the same way you managed your finances, would you keep your job? Just look straight ahead. Don't answer. <laughs> you know, if we are disorganized, we don't have a plan, nothing's written down, we're just by the seat of our pants, and then we go to God and we pray to our good, good father, and we say, God, I'm not behaving financially, I'm horrible financially, I'm incompetent with money, but please, would you send me more? <laughs> How often does that happen? And what is his answer? It's actually in the Bible. Remember, the, there was a parable of the talents. A master gives three servants amounts of money to manage. He comes back later. Two of them managed it well. One of them 
didn't. And looks, let's look at what he says to the one that didn't. His Lord answered and he said, you wicked and lazy servant. Ouch. You know where I, that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I haven't scattered. You know I'm shrewd. So you ought to have at least deposited my money with the bankers. And, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So he mismanaged his master's money. And then in verse 28, he said, So take the talent, that was the, the bit of money, from him and give it to the one who had ten talents, the one that was the most successful. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he has is going to be taken away. Now, this is not talking about the, the, rich, um, the rich oppressing the poor. What this is talking about is money mentalities. If you don't have money because of your mentality, it will be taken away, and guess who's going to end up with it? The people that already understand how money works. And so here's the thing, is we've got to get this on the inside of us, and it starts by coming up with a plan, a budget. Now, I want to encourage you, when you go home, get out a spreadsheet or a yellow pad or an app, do a budget. Watch this, in Proverbs 27, it says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Now, most of you don't have flocks or herds here in Raleigh, okay? But what it's saying is that you need to know where your resources are. So do you know how much is coming in and how much is going out? And does that make sense ahead of time? Is there a plan do we actually understand and manage money well? And once we grasp hold of that and we manage what we have well, God actually says in the Bible, he'll trust us with more if we are faithful with little. Because if, if you're always doing what you've always done, you're always going to have what you've always had. Okay? Also, another proverb says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant. Some translations say slave, to the lender. So this is real. It's in the Bible. Now, the Bible does not say that debt is a salvation issue. You can have a credit card and still go to heaven. Okay? It's not talking about that. The Bible doesn't also doesn't say that debt is a sin. You can't find that in the Bible. In fact, it talks about being a lender instead of a borrower. That's what you want to be. So the Bible wouldn't encourage us to be a lender and put, if that was putting other people into sin, all right? Well, but Mike, are you saying that those that lend money are actually enslaving other people? Well, that's a good question. Let's look at this word. Many translations use the word slave here. And in the context of this biblically, slavery among the Jews, side note, was not what we understand in the modern day understanding of the embarrassing and horrible period of this country where an entire race of people were kidnapped and enslaved. That's not what it's talking about. Biblically, servanthood, or sometimes it used, some translations say slavery or slave, the Bible is very clear in the Old Testament that if you kidnap people and sell them, that was punishable by death in the Bible. In fact, uh, here in the U.S., slave owners, they would allow slaves to have Bibles, but they would actually remove these scriptures that said that that was punishable by death. And in fact, they would, uh, they, they would give them 
Bibles, but they would remove, the, the whole book of Exodus was removed from the Bibles that they gave to slaves because so, they didn't want them reading that and getting any ideas. So they would, they would mess up the scriptures. And there are scriptures in the Bible that talks about how masters should relate to slaves and slaves relate to masters. That was not what we had here in the early part of this country. Slavery in the Bible was a bond, uh, bond servanthood. And if you read the Bible and you don't understand that, it seems like the Bible condones slavery like what we understood in this country. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't condone the slavery that we experienced in or, or that we had in this, in this country. It is talking about an indentured servanthood back then because God allowed indentured servitude to actually help people. There was a purpose for it. He actually did it to help the poor survive. Because a person who might have starved to death because they didn't have enough food could actually sell themselves into servanthood. And it was more of a contract for employment, like indentured servitude, in order to pay off their debt or even provide sustenance for them and their family until that debt was paid or they could get on their feet. So it's not that people that were lending money were enslaving people as we understand in slavery. God obviously frowns on that. He, there was a death penalty to it. But what it means is you're going to have to work to pay off that lender, and that's going to be your focus for a while. And, and what the Bible's saying is do your best to stay out of that. So we have to get out of debt. Have a plan, get out of debt. But the question is, do, are we putting ourselves in a financial position to get out of debt? I want to show you something. There is a culture within this country that you're just going to always have a car payment. You're never going to be able to save up and pay cash for a car. By the time you pay off that car, you're going to need to get a loan to buy another car. So you're going to always just have a car payment. I love it when data comes out and says that the Bible is true. Because data shows that the average new vehicle payment here in the U.S. is $667. I imagine it was really $666, and they just bumped it up by $1 so it wouldn't look so evil. Probably. The average used vehicle payment is $515. Now watch this, okay? If you took $500 a month and you invested it from age 30 to age 70 in a decent mutual stock fund, Watch this. You would have $5.6 million. That's what your car payment is costing you. To quote Dave Ramsey, I hope you enjoyed the car. <laughs> so how do we get out of debt? I think the first thing that we need to do is pray. And remember, prayer is your first step, not our last resort. But when I say pray to get out of debt, most of us, this is how we pray. God, miraculously pay off all my debt. The problem with that is if we don't actually change your money mentality to what the word of God says, if God paid off all your debt supernaturally, guess where you're going to be in a number of years? You're going to be doing the same thing that you always did, and then therefore you're going to get the same thing that you've always gotten. And so I want to propose a different prayer. What if we prayed, God, change my money mentality to what your word says? Help me believe about myself what you believe about me. 
And I think if we would start taking responsibility for the actions and the things that we do, I think that is the first step to actually changing our current financial situations. Now, what are some of the practical things that we could pray for wisdom to do? The first one is, God, help me stop borrowing. You may have to do plastic surgery and cut up all your, pl- all your credit cards. Right? If you are in debt and you want to get out, you also you might have to work your way out. You may need to get another job, a part-time job, or, or maybe even another full-time job for a period of time. But everybody's hiring. You might have to manage your money. We talked about that. You may not get to go out and buy everything that you want. So when I talk about the possibility of being debt-free, I just want you to realize it's possible. It is a possibility. No, I'll always have car payments. You'll, everybody always has car. No, there may be a time, there could be a time when you don't have to pay, make payments on anything. You don't have to borrow money when you need something. If we're going to be disciplined enough and patient enough to save and save for things that we need, that we want in the future, savings for emergencies that we have. Could you imagine the pressure that that takes off when you know that you can handle those things? That's what I want for my life, for this ministry as well, that we're being smart with every single dime, self-disciplined, so that we can be about our purpose of making disciple makers and building strong families even more so. Now, are there emergency times when you don't have a choice, you gotta do something? Yes, I'm not saying it's a sin, remember, if you have to borrow money. But so many of us, we're just going out, we're just charging, charge, and charge, and charge, and we don't even know how much we owe people. We don't know what our budget is. Because if you always do what you've always done, you'll, always, you'll get what you've always gotten. Another proverb says, In the house of the wise are the stores stored up of cho- choice food and oil. Wise people save money. That's what this means. Okay? Oil is a sign of the, of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, it was, it was used to keep the oil burning in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. But it was also used in the tabernacle a lot like we use dollars. It was an actual medium of exchange. So if you had a craft of oil, you were ready to do busy, uh, business. It was a sign of wealth. Now, also choice food. There were two types of people back then. There was a huge chasm, poor people, rich people. And, and in the Middle East, they would have eaten hummus, olives, mostly no meat, maybe a little bit of bread, maybe some fish if they, if they got some meat, but that was pretty much it. Rich people, they ate choice food, like we eat, spices, good food, you know, meat. Uh, and choi- we have choice food and oil. These, are, these were all symbols of wealth, okay? So let's go back and read it. In the house of the wise are savings, cho- stores of Money. Why? Why? For an emergency. Like I'm a faith person. I don't have emergencies. You need to be more positive. I am positive that you will have an emergency. (laughs) Something's going to happen and you're going to need some money. All right? Now, the last thing is this. Have a plan, get out of debt, and save and invest so that you can retire well. No, I'm going to spend everything I make, and I'm going to hope the government takes care of me. Yeah, because they're great and known for their ability to handle money well. You know, good luck with that. No, you want to be in charge of your destiny. 
And that's actually good news because it means you can change. Because if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. Good, you're getting it. But, so, you might ask me, well, this is all great, this is all good, but nuts and bolts, like, how do I actually do this? I see the need, I, I feel it. Well, the nuts and bolts of how you do this particular thing, you know, what percentage should I put toward savings? What percentage should, my, should be toward housing, toward food? Those things are not in the Bible. The only percentage in the Bible is that the tithe is the first 10. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach all of that. I'm going to leave up that, that up to a class that we're going to provide for you as a meetup toward the beginning of the year. Let's take a look at this video real quick. Most stories that have a happy ending don't feel like it along the way. We borrowed for everything. Want a new couch? Go finance it. Want a new TV? Go finance it. Want a new car? Go finance it. My whole philosophy was credit cards. I'll just work another week. <sighs> Swipe the card. Everything kind of started to crash. We started to see our marriage drop away. I personally owed $750,000 in debt. I was totally hopeless. You need to decide if you want to be wealthy or if you want to look wealthy. When somebody told me about FPU, I grabbed hold of it like a life preserver. It gave me hope that we could make our marriage work. Knowing where your money's going is a huge life changer. Nobody owns me anymore. Nobody. It's opened up communication big time. All of a sudden, we were back together on a crusade. We changed our family tree. I'm here to do my debt-free screen. Yeah, how much have you paid off? Four hundred and fifty-six thousand. Eighty-nine thousand. One hundred and twenty thousand. Three hundred ninety-four thousand dollars. Three, two, two one. one. This financial peace stuff is working. People are getting out of debt and they're becoming millionaires. We are the first generation that are millionaires. And we've given more than we ever imagined we could yeah. give. I now have a net worth of $1.7 million. Hope is real. Anybody ever done Dave Ramsey before? Financial Peace University? Yeah, it's absolutely... Absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I believe one of the purposes that we have here is to build strong families. And I honestly believe that, man, there is a lot of pressure put on families. Uh, and society gives us enough pressure that we don't need any more. And so as a part of that purpose that we have to build strong families, we want to make this available to you. There is a price. There's a cost associated it's an investment. Melissa and I have done this multiple times. And I, in the beginning, I remember looking at that and going, what? Wow. But you'll find almost nobody that has taken a Dave Ramsey course that, have, that has regretted the investment put into it. They give you tons of material, help you with budgets, give you all kinds of wisdom. And look, the church is not making anything off of this. Uh, we're just passing, uh, passing Dave's cost off to you. At the beginning of the year, we're going we're gonna to offer this to you as a meetup in our spring semester coming up next year. And so you can go ahead and register now. Uh, go text meetups to 97,000. We'll send you the information so you can go and, uh, on, onto Dave's website and sign up. It's going to be amazing. Uh, and what I've taught you today, he's going to put handles on it. He's going to teach you how to do all that. I told you what to do. I didn't teach you how to do it. That's what Dave is a master at, and it's life-changing, and I encourage you to do that wherever you are. 
Um, and so it's $99 for that 13-week course. And you know what? For some of you, that might be a Christmas present. You know, it's like, don't give me another knickknack. Let's do that. You know, so, um, so it may be a Christmas present to yourself because you're tired of not having enough tired of chasing your money around, or you want to be even a bigger blessing to other people, because you don't want to get into a place where, uh, where you're, you're not able to do what you want to do. That's going to help you apply your principles. Uh, this is going to help you apply the principles. But what would it be like if you and I, we had the joy that we could bless people you know, it, it would be so much fun. What, what if you just walked around with a certain amount of money every month and you're just asking the Holy Spirit, who, who's this for? Who do, who do I want to bet? Who do I want to bless? That you wake up in the morning not thinking about your bills, thinking about who you could bless. How cool would that be? <clears throat> How, what would it be like if we were just known for this? I know what it's like to, to be that person that wants to help others, to, to want to make a difference in the lives of other people, and to want to be generous. But it's awful tough to give if you're broke, you're in debt, or you haven't saved any money. You don't have a plan. But the, here's the awesome part, is we can change. We get to decide today that we want to change, and it will change our lives if we change our money mentality to what the Word of God says. His mercies are new every morning, and we have the opportunity to be generous every morning as well. It's what my heart wants. It's what your heart wants. It's what God wants for us. And that's why, from the very beginning, God created us to be fruitful, to multiply, and to have dominion so that you could be a blessing. We could be a blessing to others. But if God gives us provision... And he gives us even more than enough. If that provision doesn't have purpose, it's going to turn into poison, or as the Bible calls it, mammon. But nothing is going to change, everybody, unless we do something different. Because if we do what we've always done in your finances, or actually in any area, you're always going to get what you've always gotten. So my challenge to all of us during this series, to you, to me, is to change how we think, to see how us ourselves, like God sees us, blessed. But don't let those blessings trip you up because you're not paying attention to the purpose for the blessings. So let's change what we've always done so that we can make sure to walk in God's perfect will for our lives in the area of our finances. I hope you've enjoyed this series. Would you stand with me?